0: come alive with pastor mark martinez
1: he tries to employ jonathan and get him jealous by saying as long as david's on the scene bro you will never be king jonathan's really cool with that jonathan put the things of god first And you and I can learn an important lesson from this. Do you seek what's best for you and what God desires? Or do you seek what's best for God? Do you empty yourself the way Jonathan emptied himself, willing to suffer the loss of all things? And if you think about it, Jonathan has a lot to lose. He's got a ton of stuff to lose. I mean, he probably grew up in the palace.
0: Most of us are all in regarding God's will as long as it benefits us but as soon as it compromises our desires and goals we quickly find our zeal waning and begin to question God's wisdom. As we continue to examine Samuel's account of Saul's pursuit of David, we can be challenged by the example of Jonathan. As Pastor Mark points out, Jonathan stood to lose his right to the throne of his father. He risked the hatred and lashing out of his father over his rebellion. But because he knew that God favored David. And he had a greater purpose for him. He was willing to sacrifice his own will for the sake of God's. Well, let's join Pastor Mark in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 20 for today's edition of Come Alive.
1: If your father misses me at all, then say, David earnestly asks permission of me that he might run over to Bethlehem, his city, for there is a yearly sacrifice there for all the family. And if he says thus, it is well, your servant will be safe, but if he is very angry, be sure that evil is determined by him. Therefore, you shall deal kindly with your servant, for you have brought your servant into a covenant of the Lord with you. Nevertheless, if there's iniquity in me, kill me yourself, for why should you bring me to your father? But Jonathan said, Far be it from you, for if I knew certainly that evil was determined by my father to come upon you, then would I not tell you? And then David said to Jonathan, Who will tell me? Or what if your father answers you roughly? And Jonathan said to David, come, let us go out into the field. So both of them went out into the field. So just in case there were any snooping ears, they move out into the field, they take this conversation out there. And as a member of Saul's court, David would be, because remember, he got kind of promoted to being in the army after killing Goliath. So he's a member of Saul's court. He would be expected to be at this event. And so David says, if your father misses me, David asked Jonathan to observe Saul's reaction to to his absence, not being in that chair at that important feast that's held monthly for the high officials of state. And so apparently Saul hoped that David would be at the feast, expected that David, you know, expected him to be there. And David wondered how Saul would react to him not being there. So he's like, Hey, Jonathan, just, just check out your dad. Let me know what he looks like, what he's thinking, what what's going through his mind. Let me know those things. And David would be at this, wouldn't be here. And so he wanted to know how this how this is going to play out, or what he, is he going to take the opportunity to kill me? I just I just need to know. You know, David's one of those guys that just needs to know. So the new moon, and he says the new moon, and I should not fail to sit with the king to eat. Special sacrifices were commanded for that new moon um, feast. If you look at Numbers twenty eight, I think it's it starts in verse eleven. I don't know where it goes to. But if there's iniquity in me, David says, and again, David seems somewhat shaken by the fact that Jonathan still, you know, I mean, sometimes there's those things that you and I just can't let go of, right? Your friend reassures you, that's not what I meant. And you're just like, yeah, but the fact is that you just didn't tell me this. It's kind of freaking me. It's still on the back of my mind. And so David's kind of there at that point. He's like, hey, man, he's still kind of bothered by the fact that Jonathan didn't tell him about that attempted arrest at Naoith. You know, it's like, man, at least she could have warned me. At least she could have told me. And so he says, am I in the wrong here? Are you still behind me? And so essentially David says, if you're really working for your father and agree with him that I deserve to die, then why don't you just go ahead and kill me? If you really agree with your dad, just here I am, bro. Let's just let's end it all right here. But Jonathan assures him no. So we, we all have to see this, see this from David's perspective in a way, and it's important for us to do that because he remembers that Jonathan's support for him is challenged by the fact that well, his father is against David, and so David would probably understand that sometimes there are those blood ties that are a little thicker than water, and so here's his blood tie here, and, and, and so Jonathan, you know, and he remembers that Jonathan's support for him, again, is, is challenged in the fact that Jonathan is next in line for to be the king, so he's kind of got these things going on, it's like, man, Saul's trying to kill me, it, Jonathan might be real conniving and be just real friendly to try to get me to a point to kill me, because I mean, it, it is his spot that I'll be taking over. And so Jonathan truly wants God's will, but David's still a little suspicious. And sometimes that happens when we get to scary places. And so if you have a friend that's a little suspicious of your help, well, you know what? Don't worry. Try to look at it from their point of view. And, and sometimes when they're under stress, it's easy to get suspicious it's easy to get suspicious, and I've been in that place where I've been suspicious of, or under stress, and I've been suspicious of someone going, well, why would that dude ask that question? You know, it'd be somebody I don't even know. It's like, I bet they got that guy to watch me and follow, and then I start working this whole thing out, and I'd and start wearing black and, and swinging from ropes and not walking on floors and just weird stuff. I mean, it really doesn't happen that way, but in my mind it does. So when you're under stress, it is, it's very easy to get suspicious. Far be it from you, Jonathan says. Jonathan gives him this encouragement, tells David to put away his doubt. Put him away, bro, you're freaking out. Mellow, you know, just take a chill pill, everything will be good. So Jonathan's loyalty seems good. And Jonathan senses that David is in a very vulnerable place in his life and where he's at, and he wants to give him encouragement in the midst of that. All right, so let's look at verse 10. And then David said to Jonathan, who will tell me or what if your father answers you roughly? And Jonathan said to David, come, let us go out into the field. So both of them went out into the field. Then Jonathan said to David, the Lord God of Israel is witness. um, And when I have sounded out my father sometime tomorrow or the third day, and indeed there's good, good toward David, and I do not send to you and tell you, may the Lord do so, and much more to Jonathan." But if it pleases my father to do you evil, then I will report it to you and send you away that you may go in safety and the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. Now, that's kind of a weird thing. Who will tell me? David now poses a practical problem. If Saul's determined evil against David and Jonathan intends to warn him, how's he going to do it? How are you going to warn me, bro? Tell, Tell me what the plan is. And so, how will Jonathan get that message to David? So, Jonathan vows to find out the state of his dad's heart. He says, I'm going to find out for you. And so, again, Jonathan knows that if his father Saul intends evil against David, it means that David must go away. David's got to pack up and leave. And so, he would not be welcome again in the palace. And he's not going to be safe again at home. So, he couldn't. He just has to go into hiding, basically. And by giving David early warning of this, he would basically help David go in safety and so the Lord will be with you as he has been with my father. Jonathan wants to give David more than a warning. He wants to give him encouragement again also. So you see this theme kind of encouragement, encouragement. David, even you must leave the palace and your home behind and flee as a fugitive, and the Lord will be with you. You can be sure of it. It's what he's basically saying to David. So we're almost, we almost think that Jonathan's being sarcastic when he says, as he has been with my father, because one might think that the Lord was really against Saul instead of for him. But If you think back when the Lord was for Saul, when when the Lord was on Saul's side, Jonathan had enough wisdom in the Lord to know that the Lord was really for Saul because here's why. The Lord was still trying to lead Saul to repentance. You know, you and I might think, well, gosh, man, and, and, and that is, that's the way we think is like, man, the Lord's done with them. And sometimes that's the way we think is like, man, the Lord's done with you, bro. Look at your life. It's just horrible. But it may not be. The Lord may have put you in somebody's life to say, hey, have you thought about repenting? Is there something going on in your life? I mean, just recently, I had to go talk to somebody, and and things were just looking rough. It seemed like every step this person took to make things right and to do better, it just got worse and worse and worse. And so I said, hey, can you come up to the church? I just have a couple of questions for you. And they came in. They sat in the office. And I said, hey, listen, let me ask you a question. Is there something you haven't repented of? Is there something going on in your life that's just, you're hiding? Uh, You can hide it from me. It doesn't matter. But maybe you and the Lord, you need to get something right. And they stopped and they looked and they started to deny it. And one denied it and the other one said, yeah, there is. And the other one said, yeah, there is. And I said, well, I don't need to know what it is. Why don't you guys just repent? Truly repent. And let's see some fruit of repentance in that and see what happens. And they did, and a couple of days later, they called, and they said, Hey, man, our quiet time's getting better. The Lord's really speaking and teaching. And life isn't perfect for them yet, but life is a lot better. And it's amazing what a little bit of repentance can do. Just in that spiritual relationship between David and Jonathan, sometimes David was stronger spiritually, and sometimes you need to be that person that's stronger. Maybe the Lord just says, Hey, just ask this question. Uh, It was uncomfortable for me to ask this question to these people, but I had to. Because I care, and I care enough, and it's because I I love them enough to say, hey, you know, here's what the Lord's, maybe, maybe, maybe I could be wrong, but here's what the Lord, I think, has told me, that you need to repent of something. I don't know what it is. So again, Jonathan was a little stronger at this point. Sometimes you will be the stronger one spiritually, or maybe you'll have a friend that's stronger. But there's this bond in the Lord between these men that could not be broken, and hopefully you have a friendship like that. Look at verse 14. And you shall not only show... Me, the kindness of the Lord, while I still live, that I may not die, but you shall not cut off your kindness from my house forever. No, not even when the Lord has cut off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. So here we, we see this cool little deal. To make a covenant means, if you think about what it really means in the Hebraic, it means to cut a covenant to cut a covenant. And so what you would do when you made a covenant back in these times, these two parties, they would divide an animal in half, stand between the animal carcass and state their commitment to each other. And basically in doing this, they were saying, I'm deadly serious about this promise I'm about to make or that I've made to you. I'm very serious. And if I don't follow through on my end of the bargain, then let me be as this animal that we're standing between. Let me be split open. Let me die. So it'd be a serious thing. It's a little more than the whole... Promise, promise, you know, cross your heart, hope to die, stick a needle in your eye. I mean, that's pretty harsh, but nonetheless, to be split open would be even harsher. Look at verse 18. And then Jonathan said to David, Tomorrow is the new moon, and you will be missed, because your seat will be empty. And when you have stayed three days, go down quickly and come to the place where you hid on the day of the deed and remain by the stone of Ezel. And then I will shoot three arrows to the side as though I shot at a target. And there I will send a lad, saying, "'Go find the arrows.' And if I expressly say to the lad, "'Look at the arrows are on this side of you, get them and come,' then as the Lord lives, there is safety for you and no harm. But if I say thus to the young man, "'Look, the arrows are beyond you, go your way, for the Lord has sent you away. And as for the matter which you and I have spoken of, indeed the Lord be between you and me forever.'" And so here we see this, this place. He tells uh, David to stand at Ezel. Ezel means the rock that shows the way, the rock that shows the way." And so David was to stay by that rock, and um, he, he is driven to that place where he will see the decision, and it's, it's not in his hands. This decision now is out of there's nothing David can do to sway the decision. And so he's standing by this rock. And like David, some of you might be at a crossroads in your own life. You might be at a place where you're at a rock of decision, worried you're not going to be able to figure it out or where you're supposed to go or what direction you're supposed to go in. But the great news is, is that you and I have a stone as well, a big rock, like David's. David's is cut without hands, and so is our stone. It's a living stone. And all you have to do is stay close to that stone. Stay close to it and stay in touch with Jesus day by day. It says he is our rock, right? And he's a stone that's cut without hands. He's that cornerstone. And you may have struggles every single day. Maybe you struggle in your devotional life, and that's your biggest problem of the week. You know, I can't figure out my devotional life. It's weak at best, but be wise and stay close to Jesus. You know, people tell me sometimes, well, I'm mad at God. Well, that's cool. You can be mad at God all you want. Just don't stop talking to him. We tend to get mad at God, and and sometimes, you know, we have to really think, do you think he's really rattled? You think we really got him for oh, no, Mark's mad at me? Oh, well, the Middle East is going to go, well, it's just going to blow. No, it's not like that. It's like my son telling me he's mad at me. It doesn't stop me from doing things. It just causes me to pause and say, well, what's up? Lay it out. Dad, you didn't buy me that Hot Wheel. I I, I didn't get that that Hot Wheel that I wanted at the store. I can't believe you didn't do that to me. How how dare you? Like, really? And and that's huge to him. I can't discount his problem. Like, hey, buddy, well. Let's see, did you do anything to deserve that Hot Wheel? Or, you know what, I might have bought you four of them and you just don't know and you're thinking you're not getting it, so go ahead, stay mad. I might let you play this out for a month. Whatever you want to do, but it's okay with me because you're cute and I still love you and you're going to eat tonight, you're going to have a roof over your head and nothing's going to change except the fact that you don't know what's coming down the road. You might have got that Hot Wheel or 20 Hot Wheels for your birthday, but it may not be in his timing it's in my timing, his father's. And in the same thing with us. And so we need to stand by that rock. The decision's not ours. And so if you're truly given to God, filled with his spirit and marked as his, no matter the pressure, the, the, whatever it could be, the issue's completely and totally out of your hands forever. And it's in his hands forever when you look at it that way. If it's out of our hands, then it's really in his hands. So all you can do is take your stand at the cross and watch God work it out. Look at verse 20 again with me. And then it says, And then I will shoot three arrows to the side as though I shot at a target. Let's go to verse 22. And But if I say thus to the young man, look, to the arrows are beyond you. Go your way, for the Lord has sent you away. So they now have a signal. The arrows from Jonathan were from God. Jonathan was just the instrument that shoots them. So God would choose which way the arrows would go. He could use anybody to accomplish any task. Verse 24. And then David hid in the field, and when the new moon had come, the king had sat down to eat at the feast. Now the king sat on his seat, as at all times, and on the seat by the wall. And Jonathan arose, and Abner sat by Saul's side, but David's place was empty. And nevertheless, Saul did not say anything that day, for he thought something has happened to him. He is unclean. Surely he is unclean. And so here, Saul didn't see David. He assumed something either happened or David was ceremonially unclean. And he moves on, no big deal. Verse 27, and it happened the next day, the second day of the month, that David's place was empty. And Saul said to Jonathan, his son, why is the son of Jesse not come to eat either yesterday or today? So Jonathan answered Saul, and and David earnestly asked permission of me to go to Bethlehem. And he said, please let me go, for our family has a sacrifice in the city, and my brother has commanded me to be there. And now, if I have found favor in your eyes, please let me get away and see my brothers. Therefore, he has not come to the king's table. Verse 31 says, Then Saul's anger was aroused against Jonathan, and he said to him, You son of a perverse, rebellious woman, do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse lives on this earth, you shall not be established, nor your kingdom. Now, therefore, send and bring him to me, For he shall surely die. Now, he insults Jonathan's mom. He basically just calls him a son of a, and I'm not going to say the word, but he just calls him that, really, that's what that means. He insults his mother in such a severe, bad way. And it's like, man, Saul, dude, do you just not get it? So the second day of David's absence, Saul figures it out. He kind of figures it out. And he tries to employ Jonathan and get him jealous by saying, as long as David's on the scene, bro, you will never be king. And Jonathan's really cool with that. Jonathan put the things of God first. And you and I can learn an important lesson from this. Do you seek what's best for you and what God desires? Or do you seek what's best for God? Do you empty yourself the way Jonathan emptied himself, willing to suffer the loss of all things? And if you think about it, Jonathan has a lot to lose. He's got a ton of stuff to lose. I mean, he probably grew up in the palace. He's got all all this stuff cool TVs, a big room, all the friends, the best weapons that, that money can buy, and yet he's willing to give it all up. He's willing to say, hey, man, I'd rather have what God wants rather than what I want. And so that's the question I have for us. Are we those kind of people? Is, are we those kind of people that are willing to give up everything for the Lord? Are we willing to give up certain things for the Lord and say, hey, Lord, I need to keep this because, you know, that, that's, that's mine. I worked hard for that. I, I deserve that. And you have to ask yourself, do you really, what do you really deserve? What do you really deserve? And, and Jesus told us to love our enemies. If you look in verse 32, and we're going to finish up real quick, it says, And Jonathan answered Saul his father and said to him, Why should he be killed? What has he done? And then Saul cast a spear at him to kill him, by which Jonathan knew that it was determined by his father to kill David. And so Jonathan arose from the table in fierce anger. He ate no food. The second day of the month, for he was grieved for David because his father had treated him shamefully. And so it was in the morning that Jonathan went out into the field at the time appointed with David, and a little lad was with him. And then he said to this lad, Now run and find the arrows which I shoot. As the lad ran, he shot an arrow beyond him. So when we look at this, Jesus had told, he told tells us we need to love our enemies. We need to love our enemies, and just, just like Saul, Saul would be an enemy. And I find myself sometimes out to get even with, you know, people when I get angry. And if I'm like Saul, I will find myself trying to get even with even my own family. And we need to be careful that we're not like that. We think we can can continue and confine some kind of hatred towards this person or control it towards that group, but not realizing that that hatred or that judgment of someone will ultimately spill over into the lives of everyone around us. Your sin will affect everyone around you. You may not think so, but it will. It has a, it has a huge effect. Look at verse 37, or I'm sorry, verse 38. And Jonathan cried out after the lad, Make haste, hurry, do not delay. So Jonathan's lad gathered up the arrows, came back to his master But the lad did not know anything. Only Jonathan and David knew the matter. And then Jonathan gave his weapons to this lad and said to him, Go, carry them to the city. And as soon as the lad had gone, David arose from the place toward the south, fell on his face to the ground, and bowed down three times. And they kissed one another, and they wept together, but David more so. And then Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, since we have both sworn in the name of the Lord, saying, May the Lord be between you and me, and between your descendants and my descendants forever. So he arose, he departed, and Jonathan went into the city. And so, again, I think God allows the, those frustrations in our lives to happen so he can show us what he is really like. And so, he, you know, it's kind of like the other day, you know, and, and he wants to show us who we are. And I think we don't have a great, you might think you know who you are, but you don't know who you are until you get into a tough situation. To a really tough situation. And I know people that have said that before. They're like, man, I thought I was this guy until this thing happened. And I can't believe how much hatred built up in my heart when this one thing happened. And it was just like the other day, I walked into my house and I looked at this sponge and I could tell it was wet. It was full, but I didn't know what was in that sponge. I mean, it could have been milk. It could have been juice. It could have been water, but we're like that sponge. We don't know what's in us until we're squeezed. I didn't know what was in that sponge until I squeezed it. And it was just, it was juice. Somebody cleaned up the counter with, I think one of my kids that's built something and thought they, and they wiped it up and they left that sponge on the counter. And when I squeezed it, it was juice. And sometimes we are like that. We don't know what's in us until we're squeezed. And sometimes the Lord says, Hey, man, I'm, I'm going to squeeze you. I'm going to let these circumstances in your life squeeze you a little bit so you know who you are. Because I know what's going to happen. I know the end from the beginning, but you don't. And so Jonathan will never see David again after this point. Well, what a hero that Jonathan is. What a good friend that he is. And I pray every one of us at some point might have a Jonathan link to us. Or even better yet, that we'd be a Jonathan link to someone else. That we would be that kind of a person having every right to the, to the chair, so to speak. But we'd be willing to say, hey, man, this is yours. If this is what God wants, I want, I want what God's best is. And if you're it, then that's what I want. And it's the same thing in relationships. Whatever it is, whatever God wants, whatever it's God's best for you and for me, we should want that. And if it's a friendship, we should be that kind of a friend, to be the best that God would want us to be. Every book in the Bible
0: holds meaning for us, even in our modern times. In 1 Samuel, for example, Pastor Mark has been teaching us about the power and sovereignty of God. Our Creator does what He needs to in order to accomplish His tasks, regardless of our involvement. How much better would it be, though, if we did step into God's plan for His world? God wants to use each of us to do incredible things for the kingdom. All we need to do is be willing. We're so glad you tuned in today to learn from 1 Samuel, and we'd like to encourage you to keep reading ahead. You'll learn a lot as you discover God for yourself. Another good place to hear and study the Word is in a church setting. Here's Tracy with a little more about what being in the body of Christ can mean for you.
1: Joining a church is more than just showing up for a Sunday morning service. It's getting to know the people you're worshiping with. As the church body grows together in the love and teaching of God's Word, it will become a powerful and effective witness for Christ within
0: its walls and beyond. If you're near Katy, Texas, We'd love to meet you Sunday at 10 a.m. at Calvary, Katy. Visit comealiveradio.com to find out more and get directions. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast as well to keep up with the latest editions of Come Alive. You can find it on Google Play or iTunes. Thanks for tuning in today to Come Alive.